0: Welcome to Drink to the Past, episode... I don't count the episodes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> episode Who Cares? Right, yeah. I
0: I put on the episode number, like, when I'm done, but I don't actually remember the episode number of the last one until I'm looking at the queue uh, on the Podbean setup so that I can name the episode. <clears throat> and then I'm like, okay, now the last one was 28 or whatever. So I think we're on episode 28 or 29 or something. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, good enough. Uh, All right. Chris wasn't here to join us today, so uh, we'll all have to give him a hearty boo. 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 Yeah. But uh, luckily Crow stepped in, uh, so good to have you back, Crow. Always fun. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So uh, don't forget to share and subscribe. I remembered that like two weeks in a row. That's amazing. Nice. Nice. We're going to be doing another giveaway eventually. If we get to, I don't know, 50 subscribers, 100 subscribers or something, then we'll do a giveaway. You know, just eventually when I feel like it, if I'm like, hey, look, we got a bunch of subscribers or something. Uh, So share us around if any of your friends like weird drunken debauchery. Uh, The theme song you just heard was actually played by me. I actually made a real theme song for once because, of course, in honor of uh, Link's Awakening coming out, I... uh, Recorded a little, uh, version of Ballad of the Wind Fish on my electric bagpipes. Because I'm a badass <coughs> like that. Yeah. Alright. And, uh, moving on to Sean drinks something stupid. I have a whiskey flip, which is my mixed drink of the week. And I will have my beer that I just opened after that. Um, so a whiskey flip is, uh, I have no idea if this is going to be good. Uh... <laughs> Oh, yeah, I was supposed to garnish it with cinnamon. I forgot that. Or nutmeg? Hold on, I have to look in my cupboard and see if I have nutmeg. Uh, I'm going to pause the recording for five seconds, so stand by while I look to see if I have nutmeg. Welcome back. Sorry for the delay. Not that you actually noticed it, because the recording was paused, so you didn't notice it. So I got. Apparently, I even have ground organic nutmeg. Uh, well, Ooh, uh, that you. was kind of a lot. We kind of dumped out of the thing a little bit more than I <laughs> meant to. But uh, hopefully this will be good. Uh, I really have no idea. Uh, so the uh, story behind this mixed drink was, of course, we're still talk- We're going to be talking about Link's Awakening a fair amount on the podcast here. Because uh, the uh, new remake for Nintendo Switch just came out today. And uh, I'm sure Crow and I have been playing a fair amount of it uh, to some extent. I'm playing it right now. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, this is like the only podcast that you can just screw around and drink and play video games while you're recording, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Other podcasts, they might expect you to, you know, pay attention to whatever the hell I'm doing. Um, but yeah, so anyways, Link's Awakening is coming out, and uh, one of the most iconic areas in Link's Awakening, really in the whole of the Zelda series, is Tal Tal Heights, uh, and it's got that giant egg on top of it. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to find a mixed drink that has an egg in it. Uh, I'm not sure if that was a good idea or not, but uh, so uh, this whiskey flip is one of the things that came up that I had most of the ingredients for. So uh, it was supposed to be um, whiskey, cream, simple syrup, and the egg, and I didn't have any simple syrup, but according to Google, you can substitute honey. So I put honey in it instead. And then you garnish it with nutmeg, which I put in probably too much nutmeg, but uh, I guess we'll just have to swallow it down (laughs) and find out if it's good or not. So, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's not terrible. Too much nutmeg. Uh, It's almost like eggnog, actually. Um, I do like eggnog. I love eggnog. But uh, definitely too much nutmeg. So, if you make one of these at home, Put in less nutmeg than I did,
1: apparently. Uh, Crow, what you drinking tonight? I am drinking some Long Island. Or let me try this again. Long Island iced tea with a shot of coconut liqueur. Sweet. Uh, I think the liqueur is a little old. It's. Uh, it almost looks like egg drop soup here.
0: Ah, huh. that's uh, impressive. <laughs> I've, I'm literally drinking something with an egg dropped in it, and your thing looks like egg drop soup. How very
1: appropriate. Not bad. Doesn't taste as bad as I thought it was going to. Okay.
0: That's two for two. Not as bad as I thought it would be. Uh, Yeah. Because actually, I do love eggnog. um, And this is mostly sort of eggnog-ish. But, like, you get a little bit of the texture of that raw egg. Yeah. so I'm not sure really how they make eggnog. I assume they cook the eggs somehow. I, I don't know. Never looked into. I don't it. know. But eggnog is amazing, and this is okay. So uh, Crow, what do you rate that T on a scale of one to no three to seventeen?
1: I'd give it a fourteen. That's
0: pretty good. Uh, this is kind of like not as good eggnog with too much nutmeg. So I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a eight okay uh if it was just actually eggnog like i'd be like up there in a 1617 i love eggnog but this is like <clears throat> slightly lamer eggnog yeah um all right well uh since we've got that out of the way um we can get into the news which there's not really a whole lot to go over not a lot happened uh, the biggest Uh, Headline of the week, I believe, is that for the first time in 22 years, Ash Ketchum has won the Pokemon League. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, I thought that was kind of interesting, because, like, after so many, you know, attempts, I thought it was just going to be, like, a trope that they kind of use that, oh, yeah, he's always trying to get better, he, you know, no matter how much he fails... But now it it almost kind of completes that, that he tried and failed and tried and failed, and finally he actually did make it to the top. So I think that's Mm kind of neat. Um, You know, as somebody who grew up with the original gen of Pokemon and dropped off somewhere halfway through Hoenn uh, in the anime, uh, that's kind of cool to see. Uh, You keep up with the anime at all?
1: I dropped off after Hoenn as well. Yeah. Um... It'll be interesting to see, because I remember them saying that they would keep him failing until, like, basically, when he won the league, the series would end. Yeah, um, I
0: saw, I've been seeing actually a fair amount of people, like, uh, re-quoting that interview whenever the hell it was. Uh, Mm. So now there's all sorts of speculation of, oh, what's going to happen in the next season? Is Ash going to be replaced finally? You know, who knows? Uh, yeah, so that would be interesting, because uh, having a new face on the Pokemon franchise after this long, I think would be hard to swing with fans. But at the same time, the fan base now is not even close to the same as it was 22 years ago. So I don't know if that would be a bad thing. And I don't know it like Pokemon is a big enough franchise that it, it's been attracting new fans for the past 22 years. So I don't see why I couldn't continue that theoretically even without Ash.
1: I think they can pull it off. It just depends on who they use. Right.
0: Because part of the thing is that, like, I was a kid watching the original season of Pokemon, and now no kid watching Pokemon today was even alive back then, probably. Right. (laughs) You know? Um, my kids are three and five, and they, you know, semi regularly watch the new episodes of the anime, um, and that's, that's basically the only reason I've watched any of the Alola episodes. I thought that series was kind of boring, but I am kind of glad, anyways, to see that Ash was on top at the end. Uh, but I thought, I thought the Sun and Moon was kind of like, eh, blah, it's a vacation, yay, whatever. I'm like, I'm over the gimmick, like two episodes in. Give me give me back yeah. my original, you know, I kind of like the original anime better anyways, like just for a multitude of reasons. Like it was funnier. Uh, Team Rocket wasn't just evil people for no reason. They Like Team Rocket was one of the most hilarious uh, antagonists in anime history. I just love well. them. And but now in the anime, they're just like, oh, yeah, we're evil. And then we fail. Because we only have two Pokemon, and they use the same two moves in every episode, and, and then we're done. <laughs> Pretty
1: well, lame. Ash also has a very punchable face, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, he's got a reasonably punchable face. Scale of 3 to 17, how <laughs> punchable is Ash's face? 20. <laughs> wow, he's got a rageable bonus to punchable face. <laughs> yeah. Nat 20. that's amazing alright so that was pretty much the brief news stuff of today Um, not not really anything else going on in gaming this last week that I know of except for the obvious thing which is that today Link's Awakening released on uh, Nintendo Switch and that's actually going to be our video game topic is just our kind of initial impressions and uh, what we're hoping to see going even further forward into the remake uh, so we're going to be talking all sorts of Link's Awakening today. Uh, so I'm all hyped for this. I got my Dreamer Edition. I got the little book and the free poster and Amiibo all sitting with me. I'm ready to go. You ready? I'm <laughs> um,
1: sitting here playing One thing I think it's actually kind of
0: interesting. Uh, is I, I got the Amiibo, um, and first of all, it's adorable, and it's amazing, and I love it. But uh, it's the weirdest thing. Uh, one of the things that I feel about amiibos in general is they're like high quality material, and this almost has this kind of look and feel of really cheap plastic, but mm. that really adds to what it is because like the the first time I saw the Link's Awakening remake trailer it was like oh look it's Link but he's a toy walking around in like a little sandbox or something that a kid is playing in is almost the art style that they were going for and so making right. it out of this material that look I don't know if it is cheap it, it feels fairly durable but it looks really cheap but looking really cheap like a, like a toy is actually Really cool and adds to the aesthetic a whole lot of the Amiibo. I've, this is one of my favorite Amiibos, suddenly. It's amazing. It
1: fits the part really well. Yeah. Uh,
0: did you get the Amiibo, too?
1: Not yet. i then d- dealing with some financial stuff. Yeah,
0: that, that can be an issue. Uh, I was... Like uh, a little worried because I really wanted the Squirtle Amiibo too, and I managed to actually have enough money, and I got the Squirtle Amiibo today, and the Ivysaur as well came out today, and I think one other from Super Smash Bros. Snake. Snake. Yeah. Um. So that good day for Amiibo. I got I got three out of four. That's not too bad. Uh, Solid Snake's never been my main, anyways. I I you know if I had the money I'd get every fucking one because I'm a nerd. But you know <clears throat> it's... That's how it goes. Some don't make the cut for me to justify twelve ninety nine. Sorry, Solid Snake. You're just not as cute as this Link. <laughs> but he's
1: part of Baby Club. Is he? Have you seen that map? No. There's a uh, Smash Brothers map someone made where it's literally just a box that you can only get into with a small enough character. Huh. And Snake can crawl in. Hmm. That's funny. But yeah, look it up sometime. Yeah, I will. Baby Club. Cool, Baby Club. All right,
0: um, so you've been playing, um, how far are
1: you? I just beat the Burger Worm.
0: Oh, the uh, Moldorm in the first dungeon?
1: Yeah, he looks like a burger.
0: Yeah, <laughs> he kind of does in this remake, especially. <laughs> He's a burger with several smaller burgers and a tomato following him yeah and you stab the tomato because fuck vegetables or fruit exactly you know we could bring up that debate but i don't think we're gonna um yeah so uh i actually haven't started my own save file yet i actually chose to go a different route and literally i came home and i was like i put it in and just gave my five-year-old the controller and so i've been watching him play all day And helping him out here and there, find some secrets and, you know, giving him tips and stuff. Because I played this game, you know, a million times on Game Boy. uh, And I fucking love it. And uh, so I haven't played a lot of it, but I've seen a fair amount now. Um, He's up through just uh, the second dungeon. Just got the. um, Through Bottle Grotto. Um. So that's pretty cool uh, that he's mostly been able to get there himself with a couple of little nudges in the right direction from good old dad. Uh, (laughs) So that's been, this is one of the coolest things too, because Link's Awakening was my first game and just kind of sharing this experience with him is is really awesome.
1: I have to say, I don't remember who's like, I feel like there's an ulterior motive by this owl that we're not seeing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Indeed. he was very, like, quick to be like, you got to do this, you've got to wake up the windfish.
0: You know, that's a kind of an interesting thing. Uh, I guess it's okay if we go into spoiler territory here for the story at least, right? <laughs> it's a, yeah, you know, I mean, the game's
1: been out for 20 years.
0: Yeah, uh, more than that, because the original, it's, it's coming up on 30, it's it's over 25. Let's see, it's 1993, I think, right? 91 is Link's yeah. Past, 93 is Link's Awakening. Uh... So, yeah. Um, that's yeah, it's pretty old. It's 26 years old. Uh, I think we can talk story spoilers
1: a little bit. Uh,
0: <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, obviously not. Like talking end game bosses or. Oh, Ganon's actually there. He's not. Right?
0: <laughs> oh, Ganon's in the remake, though. What?
1: <laughs> That'd
0: be hilarious. Hey, I'd be down if he was. There's just suddenly, like, Ganondorf in the end. Where the hell did that come
1: from? Um, it's not actually the wind fishing gig,
0: right? Uh, but yeah, that's that's an interesting kind of point. Uh, the owl does kind of like I've always kind of felt of him as just the you know game developer's way of being like, uh, here's the next thing to do, so that you're not completely lost, just wandering around like you kind of were in um, the uh, original Legend of Zelda. Um, and you kind of had more of a, a linear path, even if there was – it's not necessarily a completely linear, but it, there's, a, there's a suggested linear path that you can go to. Right. Um, and I felt like he was always just a little bit of a railroading mechanic, and I never really thought much past that. But since you mentioned it, actually that could be an interesting sort of thing because maybe he knows what happens when the wind fish wakes up. Maybe he's working with the nightmares to or, or something to wake up the windfish. or well no that, it, not, not working with the nightmare. you know what I mean. Um, yeah because the, the the whole premise of the story is that the nightmares are there to keep the windfish asleep because if the windfish wakes up then the entire island disappears. everything on it like it effectively dies because it's the end of the dream. you know it doesn't exist anymore after the dream is over. Um, and maybe the owl knows that because who knows the owl could have come in from outside the island just like Link in theory Um, but I never really thought about that
1: I didn't realize you could hit the foxes
0: oh yeah I didn't realize they were foxes I always thought there was a dog in the original and now I walk in and I'm like that's totally like a fox was that supposed to be a fox in the original or did they just change it to be a fox and because really? you're not supposed to stab dogs either but because yeah I did that in the original if you stab it it'll bite you <laughs> I wonder if Marin still like eggs you on about stabbing the chicken I haven't tried did she that. do that yeah in the original uh, like if you are stabbing a chicken on the same screen as Marin Uh, then like first she's like stop it no it's a poor little cuckoo and and you keep stabbing it for a while she's like oh please you're a monster and then if you keep going and going and going then eventually she's like die chicken die you know something like that you're just (laughs) like holy shit (laughs) Marin took a that escalated quickly (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I haven't tried that remake yet so I'll have to I'll have to get on that
1: Um, yeah, so... Yeah, uh, she doesn't see fast.
0: Right. Oh, are you <laughs> you trying it now? Yeah. We've got Crow trying it live on the podcast, stabbing the chicken. <coughs> Animal cruelty. No cuckoos were harmed in the production of this podcast. <laughs> Just one egg was harmed. And,
1: and an entire island.
0: It. Oh, yeah, the entire island. They're, they're, they're all fucked. <laughs> That's that's another kind of a thing that I love about this game, is that it's secretly the darkest Zelda game. Yeah, it's pretty up there. Yeah, because you look at it, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's all cute, and you're just having an adventure, and there's a village full of animals, and, you know, everything's happy. You're killing nightmares. That's good, right? But then in the end, you're like, no, Link literally knows what's going on. He has to make the conscious decision to kill the final nightmare, and release the windfish from his sleep, thus murdering every single inhabitant of the island. Come on, Link.
1: But then was the island ever really there to begin with?
0: Uh, maybe. I mean, for all Link knows it was, right? Very sure. Link's there, so theoretically he should be the one who's able to tell whether or not it's really there.
1: Yeah, but in a world of magic... You know. Yeah.
0: But I always thought of that was also a kind of an interesting idea, though. Because, like, if it was just, oh, it was all Link's dream at the end, then I would be like, eh, that's a little cliche. But what I really love is kind of the twist that it's the Windfish's dream. And the Windfish is like this crazy giant flying fish god. And I was (laughs) like... Maybe a flying fish god has the power to create reality out of his dreams. I think that's an interesting concept for the story. Uh, Maybe. So that's kind of how I've always taken it, is like fish god dreams are real or can become real temporarily until the fish god wakes up because they're that (laughs) fucking magical. Uh, Did you play much of the original?
1: I didn't beat it. Mm -hmm. Slacker. I got... Five temples through? Okay. Um,
0: Yeah, I've beat it a few times. Uh, The last time I beat it, I actually went out of my way to have a no death run, and that was like hard as balls because every time I died, I'd reset to my last save. Uh, And most of the time, I was like paranoid saving for, you know, every single room. But then every now and then, I'd be like, you know, die on a boss and then have to go back like six rooms. (laughs) And get back to the boss, so that was kind of annoying. Um, but yeah, I was a big fan of the original. I, you know, have been playing it and replaying it since uh, I got it uh, on. Well, well, kind of the first time I played it actually was on an emulator, because uh, my brother was a dirty pirate in the late nineties, um, and yeah that was that was pretty cool though because i i didn't realize that it was a zelda game i'd never heard of a zelda game before but i knew that we had this game on the computer and you could kind of explore this island and it was pretty cool and then later on i got it for uh the actual game boy cartridge um and i was like oh that's kind of cool i remember this game after i started playing it you know i didn't recognize it by name but after i started playing and i was like oh i've played this before this is that computer game that we played uh, even though it wasn't a computer game. Just, Josh, if you're listening, yeah. a dirty pirate. How dare you? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it was kind of awesome to rediscover one of the games of my childhood was now in at what, at that point, had become my favorite series because after Ocarina of Time, I was pretty much just hooked. I was like, yeah. yep, not giving up this series, and then I wanted to go back and play all the originals. So I went back and I beat Link's Awakening, um, and I've beat it, like I said, a handful of times. It's... Um, I don't beat it most of the times when I try to play it because it is uh, like some of those later dungeons just get kind of a little tedious to replay too much because uh, they're, they're fun and the puzzles are great. But uh, dying and having to reset at the start of the dungeon and, you know, find your way back, it'd be a little tedious sometimes. Just a bit. Which isn't anything bad against the game. That's just kind of how games were at the time. I'm replaying Link to the Past now, and it's kind of the same way. Uh, But I'm kind of, like, a little bit nostalgically, like... I'm doing it on my Super Nintendo Classic, and I'm trying not to use save states very much. Uh, Mm. So basically, the only time I'll use save states is, like, if I get to a dungeon and I want to stop, then I'll save state there, so I don't have to walk all the way back, because it starts you at the pyramid or whatever. That's fair, um, and then sometimes I'm like in the longer. I'm getting into some of the longer dungeons, and I'm like, you know, what? I'm just gonna save state right outside the boss door, so I don't have to walk back. Yeah, <laughs> and and that's about it. Uh, and that's that's been a really fun run too. Um, is there anything that you think is uh, better about the remake, that, uh, or vice versa? Actually, because I was kind of thinking that uh, maybe there's something that was better in the original that the remake screwed up, but
1: so far I, the soundtrack is a lot better.
0: Um, yeah, actually, um, I I feel like almost objectively you can say that because it's literally the same soundtrack, but it's you know orchestrated instead of mm-hmm. eight bit blip-dee-bloop which there's there's a lot of charm behind that original soundtrack anyways and i you know in my review on two guys playing zelda i gave it a perfect 10 for the soundtrack (laughs) it's an incredible score all around every you know bit of music even some of the weirder ones uh to me really kind of captured the feeling of being in a dream where it's like some of the music is really surreal in there and i think I'm I'm wondering how those ones will translate once I get into it because those were some of the later dungeon themes, um, and they were really had this sort of ethereal, dreamlike quality to them in the music, <clears throat> and I'm wondering if that translates once it's fully orchestrated because I feel like some of the blippity bloop sounds kind of
1: added to that,
0: but I guess I'll see once I get there.
1: So far, it's been pretty good. Yeah. Um... Um, Yeah. Yeah, I'm not
0: sure there's anything I've seen so far that I would say, oh yeah, the original does that so much better. Um, Because basically all the major changes are just quality of life things. Like, uh, you know, you're uh, not getting 17 text boxes every time you touch a rock. You don't have to go into the menu, you know, 15 times before the end of the first dungeon.
1: Yeah... there's also like it's very meta sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's just fun. Yeah.
0: Um. So could you think of anything that the original might have done better? I'm trying to think of what all the original did. I haven't gotten there. very far yet. Okay. Fair yeah. judgment. That's it's, it's kind of one of the hard things to say on the initial kind of impressions too is it's like You know, maybe after a while something will set in and I'll be like, you know what, I like that in the original better. But so far, I'm pretty much just all in on this remake. This is like the best version of the game that they're in. Oh yeah,
1: they did it justice. Yeah. It's just the last time I played it, I was eight years old, so. Memory's a little hazy.
0: Right, yeah. There's a little bit of that going on. Uh, I'm sure I'll have a little bit more of that once I get to the you know, later dungeons where I'm like, what do I do here? Because there's some some really trippy, weird puzzles that almost don't make sense in the original. And if they just translated those one for one, which it seems like they've done for pretty much everything else in the game, uh, then it'll still be just weird and trippy. Yeah. Like the the horse heads. (laughs) It's like, what do you even do with these? (laughs) <laughs> it's such a weird puzzle. Or since, yeah, there's a couple of puzzles in uh, various dungeons where there's like two horse heads on the ground, and uh, I think they're supposed to be like chess pieces, like knights, but they look totally just like decapitated horse heads. <coughs> uh, and the the goal of the uh puzzle is to somehow get both of them to flip right side up, so they land on their base and they're standing up, but like, sometimes when you throw one, it'll bump into the other, and sometimes when you throw one, if it lands not right side up, then the other one will just fall down for no reason. And it was like, what am I even supposed to be doing here? And so you're just randomly picking them up and throwing them and hoping they land right. (laughs) That's so weird.
1: Yeah. Well, it also wasn't conveyed very well on 8-bit. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Probably be easier to carry. Mm hmm. Um I'm trying to think of uh what else to say. Have you done any of the um well you're just past the first dungeon, so you haven't even got to the Dompei's dungeon maker
1: thing yet, have you? No, I just went, my switch died. Oh man. Lame. Uh I Did you do fishing
0: though? Oh yeah. I, I I haven't done fishing. How's that? Uh because I The fish are assholes. Are they? <laughs> Because I noticed that there's been, like, a pretty significant change from the original. Um, between that and the trendy game, too, uh, seemed to be, like, totally mixed up.
1: Yeah. Hick hates the trendy game.
0: <laughs> yeah, he was posting that on the Discord. That was that was pretty interesting. Um, I had a couple of annoying uh, things where I was trying to get a figurine for my kid. Because um, I guess there's, like, collectible figurines in it now. I don't know what the hell you do with them,
1: but... I don't even know how to get them.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, there's just a... So far, I've only seen them in a trendy game. I don't know if there are other places to get them or if it's just a trendy game prize. But, uh, he's like, hey, there's a prize in here. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I I got, well, one of them. And then later, there was a seashell, and the seashell popped out, like, four or five times (laughs) of the claw. I'm like, come on, man. And he's... It was funny because he literally just spent like 30 minutes just cutting the grass and going back to the trendy game. And I was like, dude, I did that when I was a kid. That is amazing. Yeah. Because that was one of the most, you know, fun parts as a kid for some reason was just to do that claw machine.
1: Well, because it was always so
0: close. Yeah.
1: That was an adult. I crushed it on the first try. Right. <laughs> yeah. Then again, I'll, maybe that's the graphics. The what? The the graphics might have made a difference.
0: Yeah, maybe. Um, also, I feel like once you got the timing down, it's not too bad on the uh, original trendy game. And uh, yeah. <laughs> also, uh, you know the the fact that none of the objects are moving in this one kind of helps, except for like the two rupees in the back that you're just like, why would I get those? There's a purple rupee that's not moving. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why did they even put those in? Like, why isn't the purple rupee the hard one to get?
1: <laughs> right, or the piece of heart, or the Yoshi. Right, yeah. The Yoshi- Literally anything but what is there.
0: Right, yeah, the Yoshi was ar- the original, in the original game, was the only one that didn't move. It was just sitting there in the center, which I think kind of made sense, because then you didn't have to, you know, try five million times to figure out how the timing works to complete the, uh, you know, the start the trading sequence. Because later Good. in the game, you actually can't get through if you aren't up to speed with the trading quest. Right. Uh, which is actually kind of interesting, because usually the trading sequence in whatever Zelda game is uh, like completely unimportant to the story. It's like just an extra thing that you can do, but here it's like there's some extra things that you can do in the trading sequence, and then later it's like, Oh, you haven't done the training sequence. Uh, sorry, you're just stuck, and you probably have no idea what the hell you're missing too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, sorry, I'm obsessing right about his cat. The what? Red the the picture that he posted in the Discord.
0: Oh, I haven't been looking at the Discord because I got my notes open here. So, um, yeah check that up when we're done here i suppose um did you get the regular edition or the dreamers edition i was wondering
1: dreamer i told you guys about the dreamer edition
0: okay uh yeah i i thought you did but i I wasn't i wanted to make sure because uh i was wondering yeah i wrote uh, the news on that it seems to have a cool slightly different box art on the dreamers edition the actual switch case which I think is really cool, and I thought it would be an interesting thing to just kind of go over. Um, So the the sleeve on the back on the outside has a little kind of concept sketch of uh, the island there, and then on the inside it's actually a whole map of Koholint, which I thought was really cool.
1: Mm. Any of the special box edition games that Nintendo makes now has a special different back.
0: Yeah, I noticed that in something else I got. Um, Octopath Traveler. Uh, had a different box than some of them had been. I think it was Octopath Traveler. Because I got. That was the last special edition I got. Um, I think. Unless I get that one, then I forgot. Yeah, the Wayfarer edition of Octopath Traveler is really cool. Um, I actually have. Uh, it came with a coin that's supposed to be like the uh, currency that they use in the in-game world, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, and, uh, although it's it's kind of funny, because I'm a little bit of a coin nerd, of all things. I'm not, like, a huge coin nerd, but I know a fair amount, and I'm like, in this world, how they would make coins is they would uh, strike them with a hammer with the stamp of whatever they wanted to imprint on it, and there is far too much detail in this coin for that to have actually been feasible with a hammer. So I'm like, uh, you, yeah, uh, plot hole, but, you know, it's still a really cool coin, and I'm like, you know what, yeah maybe they got, like, elf magic or some shit, I don't know.
1: I was about to say, like, I think they are all made by magic, which is why everything is so ungodly expensive.
0: Right. That's possible. Um, but, yeah, and then it came with, like, a little cloth map as well, and then the whole case actually has a, a, a pop-up book in it. uh. And it's got eight pages, uh, one for all the characters, of just kind of them in an important place from somewhere throughout their mm-hmm. start of their storyline, um, and just the the pop up art really almost looks like the in game art because it's kind of got that style where it's like, uh, it's got the, you know the, yeah, it's three D but it's two D, it's magic. Because Square is Wizards.
1: I'm sad that I missed out on that one.
0: Yeah, uh, that's definitely one of my favorite ones I've got. Uh, that in my Breath of the Wild uh, special edition. I'm still salty. I didn't get the Master Edition. but you know. Same. I guess I did get the uh, uh, Wingstick edition of the uh, Rage 2. <laughs> so that was probably the last special edition I got. I'm looking up at my shelf here. I'm like, oh yeah, I got Rage 2 with a Wingstick. That was cool, um, which is I. Uh, I was talking to the guy actually. I didn't pre-order this. Uh, I guess there was apparently another special edition too that came with like a talking mutant head or something. Oh yeah. And I was like, that's eh, a little little intense. I'm not sure it'd be a great Halloween decoration or something, but <laughs> I would get no use out of it other than that. And I was a little it's scared so it would nice. scare my children.
1: It's very annoying.
0: Is it? <laughs> yeah. Did you get that one? <laughs> or is it, you just have a model in the store or something?
1: We had one in store. Right. I hated it. <laughs> I really wanted to throw it away.
0: <laughs> That's funny. I'm
1: mm. surprised you didn't get the uh, special edition from Iron Um,
0: You know what? I thought about it, but money was, again, an issue at that time. And I was like, ah, I want it, but money's... Uh, so that, that was basically the issue with that. Um, Fair. I did get the free pins. That was kind of cool. Because uh, you guys were doing that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Anyone that doesn't know I work for GameStop.
0: Oh, yeah. Crow works for GameStop. Call him up and he'll give yeah. you a discount. Probably. Maybe. Probably not.
1: <laughs> I won't actually, but...
0: <laughs> but I promised yeah. it on the podcast. <laughs> um... Yeah, uh, it was funny though because I got the pins and I was like, alright, I should pin these to something, but what should I pin them on? Oh, I know, I'll get a Fire Emblem hat and I'll pin them on it. Mm -hmm. And I scoured the internet and as far as I can tell, there is zero Fire Emblem hats anywhere in existence. And I'm like, why the hell don't they make Fire Emblem hats? I would totally buy that.
1: I think it's still a little too niche. I guess? I don't know. Three Houses, I think it was the highest selling Fire Emblem game ever. Is it? Least in the uh, States.
0: Yeah, I, I could see that. Because uh, um, it's kind of early out. I was like, if it's already outsold Awakening, I would be impressed anyways. Because Awakening was a uh, uh, pretty good seller. Uh, Awakening or Fates better? I don't remember. Does Fates count as both versions or only one each? I don't know. I don't know. I'd actually have to look that up, and I don't feel like it. Instead, I'm going to drink this beer. So the beer of the week is uh, Cashmere XPA from Firestone Walker Brewing Company, uh, which I've had this beer on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I think. But uh, I didn't have enough money to buy beer today because I bought three Amiibos and a video game. (laughs) But it's still pretty good. I don't remember what I gave it, but um, let's see. Hmm, Hold on. Hmm. Um, earlier today, I also had uh, one of the beers I had last week, which was a also a Firestone uh, Union Jack IPA. And that one is just like really, really good, and I feel like it's better than uh, both of the other IPAs that came in this pack. Uh, last week, I kind of was disappointed going from the uh, Union Jack to the Easy Jack, uh, which is kind of a lighter... Uh, less-bodied thing. It's it's not a bad beer, but it's uh, like coming right off of the Union Jacket was really disappointing. Uh, and I feel like maybe that same thing is kind of happening here a little. Um, I still don't know what the X stands for in XPA. It still tastes smokily like some sort of IPA-ish thing. Yeah. No idea. No idea either, but uh, it's not bad. If that comes out near you, then
1: drink it i guess uh so Fire Emblem three houses yeah already has the most sales in the u.s of any Fire Emblem game okay that
0: uh, that is impressive
1: it's number two overall
0: number two overall after awakening yeah okay uh by how much
1: uh, let me see if i can get exact numbers it just said that it was close okay
0: so probably going to pass it here in a little bit if because it, if it's it'll pass it
1: yeah
0: um, so about what numbers are those is that does it say specific numbers or just because I'm curious it was
1: just saying just saying
0: okay it's a little annoying when they don't tell you the actual numbers but you know I feel like a lot less companies are reporting exact numbers now for sales yeah and i feel like part of that is also because physical sales are uh dwindling a little bit in favor of uh digital sales and then most of the time when you're actually looking at a sales figure it's only physical sales and digital isn't included at all and that also has been kind of a weird thing to me is like how are you not including digital sales as well because it's it, it seems like that should factor in somehow
1: that's what's funny is they didn't include the uh uh digital one for that reporting, but they did for awakening. Huh. So it's possible it may have already passed. Hmm. Neat.
0: All right. Um, any last thoughts on the uh what's your experience so far on Link's Awakening remake?
1: Uh, no complaints so far. Yeah uh pretty
0: much yeah it's, so far it's just great like as great as i remember it if not better you know from my childhood um this is a great remake you know everything is familiar but new at the same time it's almost like uh somebody on twitter i saw was saying it's like playing the game blind even though you've played it before uh which yeah. is kind of a feeling that i feel like a lot of gamers want to recreate, especially with the Zelda series. Because, like, it it goes around, like, pretty often as a topic of discussion. Oh, if I could play Ocarina of Time, you know, forget everything I've ever known about it. Or Breath of the Wild too, uh, And, uh, you know, it, pretty much every Zelda game you could say this about. And it, it really almost does feel like that a little bit. Because it's so new and so different but at the same time literally everything is exactly the same (laughs) it's kind of hard to describe but it's awesome Um, so moving on to our table topic uh, is related to dreams because obviously uh, that's uh, relevant Um, so uh, in tabletops uh, can dreams be a useful and interesting mechanic for dungeon masters to utilize and how should they be handled um, Crow, do you have any experience with a DM giving you a dream or you as a DM giving you, you haven't done much DMing yourself though, have
1: you? Right. I haven't done the DM yet. working so on that.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, so has a DM ever like, you know, put in a dream sequence for you to go through or something? Not yet. Okay. Cause it's, it's come up a handful of times with different DMs in my years of playing. Um, uh, what do you think about that? Just before I say anything, uh, if a DM did, uh, do that sort of thing. Uh, what would your reaction to it be, and how do you think they should handle it if that was their intention?
1: I am not sure. I feel like a group dream sequence would be really cool, as like a result of a spell or a curse. As far as giving direction for like the story or something, might be a little hard to not metagame,
0: right? To some extent.
1: I don't know. That might be a bridge I'd have to cross when I get there.
0: Yeah. um, So with me, dreams in... uh, It's not something I've ever really played with a lot, but it's something I've kind of considered once or twice. And it's something that's happened to me once or twice in uh, various things. And usually, it's something to do with uh, a one-on-one kind of interaction between the DM and a specific character. And that specific character in this specific situation being kind of like here's what your subconscious is doing right now. Uh, that sort of thing. And it's uh, it can be really interesting, but also um, the DM at that point really has to kind of know the character really well. Um, and uh, I, I think that could be a tricky thing to, you know, it, it could be easy to take it too far and be like almost shoehorn in, what you think the player's character is rather than what the player thinks their character is. <clears throat> um, also, what I think has been a kind of an interesting use of this is uh, I actually had a character we've talked about on here once or twice. Uh, Silas was a necromancer. And um, he kind of got interested in all sorts of occult things from uh, just having to work at a bookshop when he was fairly young because he, you know, didn't have any other real way to pay. You know, he did kind of odd jobs for a little while and then he worked at a bookshop. Um, and he kind of just would research his material so that he knew how to sell it, it was kind of his first thing. But then he got really interested in all sorts of weird occult shit. Um, and oh. specifically, one of the things that happened at one point was that... Uh, this is funny, because this is just something I wrote in my backstory, was that his father came to him in a dream, and his father was dead, um, but he was cursed in such a way by a powerful curse that could not be undone even after he died. Um,
1: oh. that,
0: and he'd like, he had been into some sort of occult stuff and was telling Silas about it to kind of be like, hey, go check this out, and if you... Uh, can break the curse on me, I can help you find some sort of immeasurable power. And it's like, okay. So that's that's just something that I wrote in. And then every now and then after that, the DM uh, kind of would just uh, have a dream sequence and he'd have my father appear before me again. And he kind of, like, I didn't expect that to go anywhere when I wrote it, uh, but then the <laughs> DM kind of r- ran with it. And he's just made it this recurring thing that he's like, Oh, you have a dream about your father again, and and you know we'd do a little role play back and forth because I'd be like myself, but in the dream I'm still talking to my father, so he'd be my father in the, uh, you know, on the other side of the role play. So that that added into some interesting things, and I never did quite figure out what uh, what was going on there, but I thought it was a really cool just addition. Yeah. What do you think about a thing like that? Well, uh, would that be uh, interesting to you if, uh, you know, you were getting some sort of, uh, premonition or vision from, the uh, otherworldly creature?
1: 100%. I feel like it would be a good way to immerse the character into the world.
0: Yeah, it really was, because, uh, then, you know, I'm always being like, oh, he's dropping a couple of names here and there, but, uh, mm-hmm. not, not being specific, uh, so then I'd have to kind of piece together based on the politics of the world, uh, which was kind of interesting. Cause actually this was Owen who was on our podcast a few weeks ago. Um, and he, uh, really kind of goes super hardcore into world building. And, um, with that, he kind of, th- there was a lot of politics to kind of pay attention to. And it was, it was difficult And in other characters, I feel like I wouldn't have paid attention to it, and I would have just gone where the adventure went and hit stuff with an (laughs) axe. But in this case, I really kind of got into it and paid attention. Like, oh, here, these guys trade with these guys, but they're not on good terms with the other guys, and uh, you know stuff like that. Um, Yeah. And I thought that was kind of cool.
1: By the way, I did find some numbers... Uh, To give you some perspective, Fire Emblem Awakening, in two years, did roughly two million uh, sales. Okay. Like, units. Right. Fire Emblem, three houses, in a month and a half, digitally alone, did almost a million. All right. So, it's gonna pass, if it hasn't already. Yeah, sounds like it.
0: Um, Because there wasn't... Uh, I don't know if they had a digital. Re- digital sales were not really as good on the 3DS, just in general. Uh, yeah. But is that two million factoring in digital, or is that physical only? Yeah. Oh, that is with digital.
1: Yeah, that's total.
0: Okay, so that's kind of interesting, because uh, a lot of reports don't factor in the digital. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of interesting to see. Um, yeah. Uh, so if you haven't played Fire Emblem, go play Fire Emblem, damn it.
1: Uh... I haven't. It's sitting on my nightstand. Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, uh, I feel like these numbers should be bigger, because Fire Emblem is, like, one of my favorite series ever. It's amazing.
1: Part of it's because Nintendo keeps fucking shorting us, so I don't have any to sell. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: But yeah. All right. Um, so um, back to the kind of idea of dreams in a tabletop. Um, yeah. So what do you think would be? Uh, I I always kind of like to get the perspective of this too, because uh, being a you know a kind of a veteran tabletop player, I like seeing what you know. Less experienced Newbies. people are, yeah, a little bit, uh, what their kind of take is on it. Um, so what do you think would be like going too far, uh, you know, with, the the idea of a DM forcing a dream upon your character? Uh, do you think that that would be an easy thing to get out of hand or that, you know, is, or do you think it would be easy to handle?
1: I think it depends on what the dream is. Mm-hmm. Like... Some might be able to digest, like okay, take some information and go about my day, or some events hap- about to happen or is happening, mm-hmm. and then there could be dreams where it's like, what the fuck are you even doing?
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely an issue there, because <laughs> if they if they go a little too far surreal or something, then that that could definitely be just as much of an issue as like almost controlling your character and, you know, forcing their ideas for it onto what you're trying to roleplay.
1: Yeah. That's always an issue. Like, that's the thing that I'm worried about with being a DM, Mm -hmm. is that I might accidentally, like, forcefully shape a player's character. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know. We'll see.
0: I feel like that's not something that I've had an issue with in most cases. Uh, but, you know, in, in some cases, uh, when they're trying to do something, uh, I feel like they could, I guess, I guess I did actually have something kind of like that one time where, um, actually it was the very first time I ever played a wizard. (coughs) Um, this, was, this was kind of funny. I, uh, I rolled up my wizard and I'm a halfling wizard. I'm just, uh, you know, there to help out the party or whatever. And the, first session, the DM starts up and we all start in a pub and he's all describing the scene and then some orcs bust down the door and they're looking for something and we're like, alright. And I'm like, alright, we're ready to defend the pub and fight the orcs and I jump off on a table and I cast Melt's Acid Arrow and I really hurt one of these orcs with my spell and uh, he jumps up on the table with me and hits me with his double axe for critical damage and I died. (laughs) not even a whole round through combat and i'm dead (laughs) second turn i'm like oh damn um but uh he he, the dm kind of felt bad about it and so he's like oh yeah there's a local priest is uh in the tavern there he's willing to give you a resurrect spell and we're like oh okay sure whatever i don't have to write up a new character um but then he uh was like Oh, but the priest resurrects you, and uh, now you have to become a cleric of his church. Uh, and I was like, it's kind of weird. And what he was trying to do was ma- force me to be a cleric so that our party would have a healer, which is kind of an okay idea. Like, like, admittedly, we should probably have had a healer. That's, that's not an issue. Or, or I mean, that, that was an issue that we had to face. But I feel like when you're making yeah. a party that's an issue that you have to decide to face and then just kind of deal with it as it comes. And there's always something else you can do instead of have a healer, you know? Uh, Most of the time. Until you get to, like, really high-level kind of encounters, then it's pretty much like, you don't have a healer, you're totally fucked. But I thought it was really kind of annoying that he's just like, oh, I'm going to shoehorn this in. No, you're you're a cleric now. You're not a wizard anymore. I mean, I was still a wizard, but he's like, yeah, your next... Levels have to be taken in cleric for the next few levels. I'm like, well, that's annoying. I don't want to do that. I w- this guy is a wizard. I didn't make a cleric, you know. And I, I like playing clerics. It's a fun class. And maybe a wizard cleric hybrid would work. I have no idea. I've never done that particular crossover. But it just kind of felt really awkward that it was kind of shoehorned in. Shoehorn is a good word. Yeah. I think I'm like the only millennial that owns a shoehorn.
1: I used to. Then it broke.
0: Yeah. I've broken several. They are not durable. Um, And then I had a metal one for a while, and that was fine, and then I lost it. But you can't find a metal one most places. My lament for a good shoehorn will go unheard. (laughs) Except by the 25 subscribers we have. But if that number There's always the we could have a giveaway of a shoehorn. That would be a great giveaway. My next giveaway is going to be a shoehorn. I don't think anyone's going to care. <laughs> so, get us to 50 subscribers and you might win a shoehorn. Woohoo. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, is there anything else you have to add about the idea of dreams in a tabletop?
1: Nothing regarding dreams.
0: Okay. Anything you have to add regarding tabletops or video games?
1: I was gonna say. Fire your story statistics. did remind. Me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, go ahead.
1: One of my uh, sessions, my roommate had a very similar session or um, incident to you. Oh, yeah. Where he, also a wizard, but he was a dwarf wizard, walked out of a building, got ambushed by like a warg or something, and got one shot. Mm-hmm. Just like out of nowhere. <laughs> totally by accident. By an enemy that I one shot upon coming outside.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah.
1: It was kind of sad.
0: I love it when that kind of weird shit happens. You can never expect it. I think it's especially funny when, like, somebody one-shots a boss and I was expecting, like, a hilarious, like, giant fight. I'm, like, spent, you know, two hours writing up the character sheet for this boss. (laughs) Something. And then, oh, yeah, I crit. Oh, yeah, I double crit. Oh, yeah, I have this ability that makes this do extra damage. So I get an extra attack. Oops, I killed it. (laughs) Some weird shit like that. You can never predict what's going to happen in a D&D game. That's half the fun. Yeah. Alright, um... So now is the time for Chris Brings a Thing, but Chris isn't here to bring a thing, so I brought a thing, which is not really a thing. But, uh, I thought I'd show it off to make Chris jealous because he's not here to see it. Ha 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 Um, so it's extra hilarious because it's literally not even an RPG book. Um... The Link's Awakening Dreamer Art Book, which actually you've got as well. Have you Len, uh, looked through that at all?
1: I've looked through a couple of the pages. Okay, yeah.
0: Um, I noticed that there like it goes into detail on a lot of the kind of things, and I don't really want any spoilers of the, you know, redesigned versions of bosses and stuff. I w I wanna really see those, you know, in game for the first time. And so one uh, after I beat it I'm gonna come back and like do a deep dive through this book, but it's uh, it's really awesome. Um, it's, you know, just a awesome hardcover with, you know, pages upon pages of really sweet artwork from the game. Which has really sweet artwork. So, haha Chris, you didn't get to see that. But, I mean, if he comes over to my house and asks to see it, I'll let him see it. So I mean, It's not like he's missing that much. <laughs> Uh, So then I think that's all uh, from the podcast. So unless you have any other topics we'd like to... I I feel like that was kind of short, wasn't it?
1: I think that was the last time you and me.
0: Yeah, somehow. Maybe just having, like, three people kind of makes it a little longer discussion, I guess, as part of it. And then partially, Chris Brings a Thing usually takes up a reasonable... Chunk, so maybe I'm gonna have to just get him to leave a stack of books here that I can use as Chris brings a thing for when he's not here. Uh, I could go over and get any number of my Zelda strategy guidebooks for Sean brings a thing, but that wouldn't be as interesting. Cause they're uh... it's
1: possible. Like when I move to Colorado, we should just have a, a book day. That would be like, cool. Just bring our guidebooks and our books, specifically Zelda.
0: Right, yeah, because uh, I have a fair number of guidebooks. I, I started collecting them uh, a couple of years ago because uh, I never had any interest before that because I always kind of thought, oh, guidebooks are just for cheaters or people that don't really want to play the game. But uh, actually I found that it's a really cool thing to collect because there's actually artwork in these guidebooks that is not published anywhere else which is just kind of cool and then there's you know the, the whole setup of them is actually really clever because uh you know to fit all the information that they have to into a book of you know however much size they have and then format it all so that it's easy to use and stuff i, I think is actually there's probably a lot more work that goes into this book than i ever kind of really thought before i kind of you know, I had, like, a couple here and there that I had got. I got one for free for uh, Nintendo's Power subscription a long time ago. I got a free Twilight Princess guide uh, <clears throat> back when Twilight Princess was new. Back in the days. I'm an old fogey. <laughs> but, um,
1: back in my day. Right.
0: And now it's funny because now I have, uh, I think, three total Twilight Princess guides because uh, later on I got a Wii... Guide at the thrift store for the Wii version, and that one was a uh, Prima guide, and the one that I had before was the official Nintendo Power guide. So there, you know, there's a lot of differences between those. And then I got the Prima hardcover guide with uh, Twilight Princess HD, and I noticed that they pretty much just copied and pasted everything from the uh, Wii version guide that they did. 10 years before and i was a little disappointed like looking through it i was like page for page it's almost identical there's like a couple of little differences here and there i think they went back and you know replaced the screenshots with some hd screenshots um but it's funny i actually found a typo that is uh they left this typo in between both versions of the book <clears throat> where uh, it's I was because uh, after I beat Twilight Princess HD I was like you know what It's, I don't feel like looking up or, or you know finding all the pose on my own so I just looked at the guide and one <clears throat> of the pose it says is um, on top of uh, which I forget which one it is but it's like it says it's on top of the great bridge of Hylia but it's really on top of the bridge of Eldon or, or vice mm-hmm. versa, one or the other. Uh, and so, like, I'm looking on top of one of the... Or, or trying to figure out how to get on top of one of the bridges. And I can't figure out where the hell it is. And then I looked in, like, the other guide to make sure I'm not, like, on crack or something. And they both say the wrong bridge in both versions of the guide. Ten years apart, they never fixed the, the error. I was like, that's yeah. kind of funny. Interesting. Interesting.
1: I was always too poor for guidebooks, so I would just go online to IGN and print out their guides and staple them together.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I also kind of did that. I did a lot of game FAQs, kind of guides occasionally if I needed a thing. Uh, which I, again, like guides, I always felt like, oh no, I shouldn't do it. But every now and then I'd break down and like, be like, you know what? I've been stuck on this puzzle for literal years. What the fuck do I do? Uh, something like that. Um, and a couple of times, again, I was just lazy and didn't want to find all the collectibles on my own. (laughs) Um, I was going to say something else and then I forgot what it was. I guess I have to drink. Mm
1: -hmm. Good beer.
0: Kind of interesting, speaking of collectibles, uh, in the new Link's Awakening, there's more collectibles, because like I said, there's those figurine things. Uh, I don't know how many of those there are, but also there's apparently more seashells and heart pieces, which is kind of cool. Uh, so you can actually get a greater heart total than the original. I don't know how many it is, but I thought that was kind of a neat little random thing to add. It'll make that final dungeon a little easier.
1: I'm sorry, I completely blanked out. What's up? Uh, there's
0: there's more different collectibles in the remake of Link's Awakening. Um, there's more seashells, there's more heart pieces, and obviously those figurines we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So what do you think about that? you going to find them all?
1: Of course. It's a Zelda game. I have to. Right.
0: I'm not always like that. Usually I'm like, I got through the story, and then I'll like hunt for a while, and I'll be like,
1: yes, I'm going
0: to get all of them this time, and then I don't.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I,
0: I think usually... I got all the secret seashells once. Um... And then I've got all the spiders in Ocarina of Time a few times. Uh, But then I found a glitch in Ocarina of Time that lets me get infinite spiders, so usually I just use that if I feel like getting to the 100- What? (laughs) There's a... In Ocarina... So there's actually a few different places you can do this, but basically there has to be a warp portal uh, within sight of uh, a spider location. And mm-hmm. so one of them that I found was uh, in Hyrule Castle, which is a pretty easy one to find, um, yeah. where basically uh, you uh, open up one of these secret grottos, and there's a gold Sculptula in it. And if you kill the gold sculpture, then the token appears. Then you throw your boomerang at the token and step into the warp portal. The boomerang will come back to you, and you'll get the spider token, but then you'll be warped out and then it'll give you an extra token in your count, but the spider won't be dead. So you can go back in and kill it again and do the same thing.
1: Uh, Interesting. interesting. I've used
0: that glitch a handful of times when I'm like, I don't want to grind them. I don't want to (laughs) look. I'm lazy. It's also been kind of a long time since I cared much about spiders. I usually just get the ones I see on my way, and that's that's usually enough to, you know, get like the big wallet, and that's all you really need. And like the small yeah. is like helpful, but not that helpful once you've played the game five hundred times.
1: I got them all once. Once is mm. enough.
0: Yep, that's fair. It's more than a lot of people,
1: I think. But with most of the games, usually I'll play it once through casually to beat it. And then again, to get everything.
0: Right. Did you get all 900 Korok scenes?
1: Not yet. Working on it? I'm putting that off.
0: Yeah. That was another one where it's like, yes, 900, that sounds awesome. I'm just going to wander this world forever and ever and ever. And then, like, Xenoblade Chronicles came out or something, and it's like, damn it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Not enough time. And if it, it, like... At this point, like I'm like, oh yeah, I could go back to it now and look for Korok seeds, but I'd rather just do another playthrough and do all the dungeons again and all the shrines and stuff. Because that, I feel like, is more fun than just wandering randomly for Korok seeds. Because I like the random wandering, and I like finding the Korok seeds, but they're not my main goal, you know? It's like, when I wander across one or something I think might be one, then I'll go check it out. All the time. Every time. But... G- if I was just wandering for Korok seeds and not doing shrines and stuff, too, then I feel like it would be less interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I just need a map. Yeah.
0: I, I have the giant map that came with the... Uh, uh, I got the hardcover guide for that, too, uh, which was a kind of a funny one because I wasn't thinking of getting it, but then um, the guy at GameStop totally upsold me that day. Like, I came in and he's like, you want this giant badass strategy guide, don't you? And I was like, yeah, I do. Take my money. Um, yeah. And that, that actually came out with, like, this big-ass folding map. It's, like, huge uh, map of Hyrule, and it, it does have all 900 Korok locations on it.
1: Yeah, I have that. I just haven't put it
0: to use. Right. I think I might hang mine up on above my couch. That would, that would be great. My wife's been complaining about the wall being like bare because it's mostly just a concrete wall. And so now we're like, what if I do that? That'd be cool. I don't think she'd think the same. Maybe I'm just going to frame and put it up there and just like not tell her and then like see her how just long... Just pretend it's- like a... Right. Yeah. Just. Be Not like, there. Yeah. She'll Always be like, there. What's that? The wall? I don't know. What are you pointing at? No. What's that? The couch? I don't know. What are you pointing at?
1: What's the thing on the wall? <laughs> Why did you frame a map? What are you talking about?
0: <laughs> That'd be awesome.
1: Uh, Tell me how it goes.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll. I'll see. That's kind of a big map. I. I wonder if. You, I wonder how big of a frame that is. I wonder if they make frames like that that are just available randomly. Probably, but I might have to, like, order it or something. Because I feel like it's a Probably. weird dimension. It's Maybe Hobby Lobby? Maybe. They have a new giant one of those down the road from my house where the Walmart closed. Because that's apparently what happens, is Walmart's close and, like, four businesses go in there, which is kind of weird because I didn't realize Walmart was that big, but now there's four different businesses in the building that used to be Walmart.
1: You know, I never actually thought about how big a Walmart actually is.
0: Walmarts are pretty big.
1: I mean, Imagine a GameStop that took that.
0: Yeah, that, like just all the collectibles. Yeah. You just have like 12 aisles of nothing but Pokemon.
1: All oh, the back room space I would have.
0: <laughs> you, you got a boner right now? Quarter jet. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but totally unrelated in the back room. The what? I swear.
0: Oh, totally what? unrelated to the back room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we believe you. We believe you. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, so I think I guess we'll wrap it up there somewhere and, and then, you know, keep talking for a while until we find something stupid to end the podcast on. But uh as always, I'm your host, John Michael Patrick Thompson. Find me at twoguysplayingzelda.com, dot check out my articles. I finished my Cadence of Hyrule review three months later. <laughs> uh and it will be on the site probably soonish, depending on when I get the chance to uh edit and uh proofread and all that good stuff uh you can also find me on twitter at spam mano spam i tweet random game junk and mostly about a podcast um and this is crow he's one of our regular guests crow shill your uh stuff
1: i am crobert Cannon. you can find me on two guys playing zelda at twitter and youtube but i'm not crobert Cannon on youtube anymore i'm just crobert you can find me on my twitter yeah yeah
0: And eventually, we'll get back to that other podcast.
1: Probably. One of these days. One of these days. When life sorts its shit out. Yeah.
0: You and your life... How dare you? I mean, admittedly, my life has been a little bit of a clusterfuck since my kids started school, too. Because it's like, um, my, uh... 5 year old is going into kindergarten now so he's actually at full day school instead of half day school and my 3 year old is at school he's in preschool now so he's just you know in school for the first time ever and i feel like that's been a really kind of a hard transition on them um but you know they're making it through i think they'll be fine eventually how much damage can public school really do <laughs> that's
1: topic for another day <laughs>
0: right yeah we don't want to bring in politics on the podcast or do we i don't know i was thinking about having an episode about politics sometime but i was like we'd have to keep it a politic free political episode where it's like just about politics and video games and politics and D, uh or or tabletops um and then that
1: that i don't know would that be would that be cool or weird uh, I think it would be most fun to doing it during the presidential election period. when Tensions are at their highest.
0: Yeah, that might work. And then maybe we'd, like, just hashtag politics or something, and then we'd get shitloads of views just because people were looking up politics, and they'd be like, what the fuck is this? They're political? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll follow them. And then we'd get, like, millions of subscribers, and then I could set up a Patreon, and I'd be, like, a trillionaire. <laughs> That's how that works, right? Yeah. <laughs> You keep thinking that. Okay, I will. I will attempt it once, and if it doesn't work, I will drink a beer. You do that. I will. Speaking of which, I still have beer. Mm. You finished that tea yet?
1: No. I'm like halfway through it. Oh, man. You a slacker? It's not one of those drinks that... Oh, it grows on me the more I drink. Oh, yeah? No... And just... actually, like, the rating is slowly declining. Mm. That's it's like lame. an 11 now.
0: I, I have that with some drinks. Um, I, I had that actually, I, I feel like I have that a lot with energy drinks, where, like, the first time I have it, I'm like, yeah, that's not bad. And then, like, as I'm just drinking it for a while, it just starts to make me almost feel sick when I'm drinking it. Uh, I feel like Monster's real bad about that. And um, some other ones. I'm trying to think of what... I I don't know. I don't drink a lot of energy drinks. And when I do, I drink NOS. Because NOS is consistently meh. (coughs) Um, But yeah, I, I feel like part of the thing is that like knowing the culture that kind of consumes a lot of energy drinks, I feel like you're just supposed to slam it. Just drink all of it as fast as possible, and then it won't make you sick when you're drinking it, you know, 10 minutes later when you haven't finished your drink.
1: I don't know. I've never been an energy drink guy. Uh-huh. Always made me tired. Yeah, huh. Ironic. Yeah, very.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I don't mind energy drinks, uh, but, I mean, usually I'm just like, I keep a five-hour energy in my pocket just in case, and that, that, that'll pretty much do me.
1: I think every once in a blue moon I'll have a rock star. hmm but only the orange cream flavor
0: hmm tastes like a dream sickle yeah cool put some vodka in that you got yourself a deal it sounds like a hilarious drink for next time Rockstar and vodka we'll call it a rock vodka but vodka star hmm booze mm,
1: I'm not a vodka guy will try it with something else okay let's see
0: um so let's see um orange cream hmm.
1: Bailey's I don't know much about alcohol Hmm. I see I drink okay
0: well I'll let you know if it's yeah. good if I ever have money enough to buy a bottle of Bailey's and a rock star But that day is not today, because I bought three amiibos, but we've been over that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I still can't get over how awesome this guy is. Like, I didn't think that this guy would be this awesome, and then he is. The the little Link amiibo. The more I look at it, I'm like, the more I like it. It's like the opposite of your drink. If Link was a drink, he'd be a much better drink than that. (laughs) I don't know what that means. I don't know. I feel like it's a reference to something. Probably. Um, Let's say Battlestar Galactica. We never referenced them on the show, so apparently that was a reference to Battlestar Galactica. Sure. Yeah. Not the remake, the old one. You know, before everybody was suddenly a girl.
1: Indiana Jones and the
0: Crystal Skull. That's my favorite episode of Battlestar Galactica.